0: Hi, everyone. This is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through his word for his people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship him and take his message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. As you're turning there, a story is told of a professing Christian. He got a job at a lumber camp, and it was a camp that had a reputation of being very ungodly. A friend, hearing that this man had been hired by them, said to him, If those lumberjacks, if they ever find out that you're a Christian, they're going to give you a hard time. The man responded, I know they will, but I need the job. The next morning, the man left for the camp. It was a year later, he returned home to his town and he came back for a visit. While he was in town, he ran into that friend who asked, well, how did it go? Did they give you a hard time because you're a Christian? Oh, no, not at all, the man replied. They didn't give me a bit of trouble. He said, you see, they never found out. You know, we're sitting here and we're thinking, well, that's really funny, isn't it? But for some of us, that hits close to home, Right. Church, one of the things that's most lacking in America today is this thing called moral courage. Even if you have to stand alone, it means going out there and having the courage to do what's right. There are some writers that have dubbed this the age, the times in which we live. They say this is the post-Christian era, the age in which society it insists for political correctness, for moral relativism, especially that portion of the lost world that has already written us off, us Christians off, as being inconsequential. Robert Kennedy once said this, he said, "...few men are willing to brave their disapproval of their fellows, the censure of colleagues, the wrath of society. Moral courage is a rarer commodity than bravery in battle or great intelligence. Yet, it is the one essential, vital quality for those who seek to change the world. I believe in this generation, those with the courage to enter the moral conflict will find themselves with companions in every corner of the world." What's great about our Bible story that we're going through today is this, that we meet such a man. His name is Joseph of Arimathea, and he demonstrates such courage in his life. He was a man with courage, courage enough to step out, to step out and be counted for Christ when Jesus' 12 disciples, when they were too confused, when they were too frightened to leave the safety of the upper room. Please stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're reading in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We're going to read verses 42 through 47. It says this, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And he summoned the centurion. He asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just help us understand the impact of the cross on Joseph of Arimathea. How that changed his life and how, too, that should impact our life. How we should be changed by what Jesus did on the cross. Open our eyes, open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will speak through me. Allow me to speak your words to your people this morning. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. In these verses, we see that Jesus, he has given up his life on the cross. His broken, bloody body, it hung lifeless and he was dead. The crowd, they depart the scene. His mother, Mary and John, they were Jesus' last followers that were on the scene. The soldiers now, they're preparing to leave Calvary. It's a sad scene. It's a scene of death, of pain and sorrow. But then, out of the darkness, out of that bleak moment of that night at Calvary, there shone a light. There was one brave soul. Out of all the people there that day, one man, just this one soul, was willing to identify himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. One man, he was willing to go claim and to minister to the body of the Lord. And that's the man we're looking at today, Joseph of Arimathea. And we must ask this question, did the cross, did it make a difference to Joseph of Arimathea? The bravery of Joseph of Arimathea, I believe it stands as a challenge to believers over all of the ages. His heroic deeds, they call us and they demand that we take our stand for Jesus as well. This morning we're going to look at three aspects of this story. Three parts which give us the whole picture of what was going on with Joseph of Arimathea. To do that we're going to look at the character, why he was the man for the job. We're going to look at the concealment, his life before the cross, what he lived before Jesus died. And then we're going to look at his courage, the actions at the cross and after, which is really what was commendable. As we go through this, I want you to allow these characteristics, the characteristics of this great man's life, allow them to speak to you and to challenge you in your walk with the Lord. So the first thing we're going to see under number one is this. Let's examine Joseph's character. His actions, they are so important that all four of the gospel writers, they tell the story about this man. About the one named Joseph of Arimathea. Their descriptions, they reveal a man of character, a man of integrity. Joseph truly had a character that was worth studying. He was from Arimathea. Now in Old Testament times, the city was actually called Ramah or Ramathian. And it was located 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It was also the hometown of the prophet Samuel. He was also a wealthy man. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven says there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Christ. This was evidenced by the fact that he was able to purchase an expensive tomb in the city of Jerusalem. He was called a good and just man. Luke twenty-three fifty says now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. The word good here means to be ready. Joseph was a man who could be counted on. He was a man of integrity in his life. The word righteous means that he was just, that he was upright in his living. He was a man who honored the word of God to the best of his ability. Joseph possessed what we call a good moral character. And he set an excellent religious example for all that followed. He's called an honorable counselor. Mark 15, 43 says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now the word counselor here, it tells us that Joseph, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now you remember who they are, right? They're that 70 member body that was the supreme rulers over the Jews. They possessed the ultimate power on all matters of Jewish religion and social life. They were immensely powerful men. They ruled everything. This was the very body, if you remember, that condemned Jesus to death. The word respected here means he was in good standing. He was an influential, he was a respected member of this body of men. Literally, Joseph was a leader among these leaders. He would have been well known, he would have been well respected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. We see that he waited on the kingdom of God. This means that Joseph was a man of genuine faith. Joseph was more than just a religious Jew like many back in that day. His faith, it was real. Scripture tells us that he looked for and he longed to see the coming Messiah. He was unlike most of those Jewish leaders who possessed a religion that was dead. They denied God by the way they lived. They denied God by the way that they practiced their religion in their day. Joseph, on the other hand, he was the real deal. He possessed a living faith, a faith that affected the way that he lived his life. Joseph of Arimathea possessed many qualities that caused him to stand out. He was the kind of person, he would have made a great church member and he would have made a great friend to all of us. Friends as Christians, as Christ followers, these characteristics here should be true of every person in this room today, should be. But are they? No one here is from the town of Arimathea. No one here will ever be a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Most of us will never be wealthy. But we all can strive to possess that same kind of moral and spiritual qualities that Joseph demonstrated in his life. That was Joseph's character. Second under number two, we'll look at Joseph's life before the cross. And what we're going to notice is Joseph's concealment. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a Jewish leader, but he was also a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, most of the time you'd say, well, those two things don't go together. Typically not. Joseph had come to embrace this truth that Jesus, he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the one, the one that was to come and the one that was going to save all of Israel. We don't know exactly how Joseph came to faith in Jesus. Scripture never tells us, but we can be sure that he had many opportunities to see. He was able to hear what Jesus was saying in person. Perhaps he was even sent out by the Sanhedrin to investigate this radical Galilean named Jesus. Perhaps Joseph listened in as Jesus as he taught about the coming kingdom of God and the way of salvation. Maybe Joseph heard Jesus as he denounced the dead religion of the Jews, of those people that he was associated with. Perhaps Joseph was there when Jesus accomplished some of his miracles. And there can be little doubt that Joseph heard the testimonies of the many people around who were helped and were ministered to by the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't really know what it was. But there was something. Something that led Joseph of Arimathea to believe and go to faith in the Lord. Well, Joseph was a believer. We have to say he wasn't an open believer. He wasn't open about it. He kept his faith a secret. Look at John 19.38. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Joseph, yeah, he was a believer, but he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen to him if, If those other Jews, if they found out that he was a believer. We don't know how long Joseph was a believer in Jesus. But here's what we do know. He opposed the efforts of the Sanhedrin to condemn Jesus to death. Look at Luke 23, 51. It says who. Now who here is Joseph of Arimathea. It says who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Remember, Joseph, he was a wealthy man, but he was not willing to pay the price of identifying himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph had many commendable qualities, but I've got to say, his failure to publicly declare his faith in Jesus Christ is not one of them in this aspect of life, I've got to say that Joseph, he is not someone that we want to emulate. Sadly, I've got to say, as we look at Christians today, there are many believers in the world today who fit the same profile as Joseph of Arimathea. They are so deeply undercover in their faith that not even the CIA or the FBI or anybody would be able to go in and identify them as a Christian. Their neighbors don't know that they're saved. Their coworkers don't know that they're saved. Their classmates at school don't know that they're saved. The fact is, if you watch them in their day in and their day out routine of life, there would be very little evidence, little evidence at all that they are saved. Their lives are not at all different from the world around them. They don't attend church faithfully. And while while they may come, they come for the wrong reasons. But many, they never stand up. Even in church, they don't stand up and give a clear testimony of their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They use some of the same language as these unbelievers. They do some of the same things as the lost around them. They intentionally hide their faith all because they're afraid. They're afraid what people might say about them or how they might portray them to the other people around. Listen to Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What this is telling us here is fear of others is a trap of Satan. It's a trap that he sets to snare the timid saint of God into his ways. When Satan, when he can silence your testimony, he can hinder the cause of Christ in this world. When he can prevent you from standing up and boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done in your life, and declaring your faith in him, he can prevent other people from hearing that gospel through you. Fear is the trap we must avoid. We must avoid it at all costs. If you're saved, be a silent, fearful disciple no more. Take your stand boldly for God who saved you. Open your mouth. Give praise. Give glory to the Savior. Give glory to the one who died in your place. Give loud, vocal testimony to the one who redeemed your soul from hell, forgave your sins, gave you a hope and a purpose, and he changed your life. Be quick to honor him. Honor him for all that he has done for you. Our testimony for him. Let's just say, Scripture tells us it's commanded, it's expected, and friends, I've got to say, it's well-deserved. Psalm 107.2 says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're supposed to say it. And Psalm 47.1 exhorts us to clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. We can do no better, friends, than openly declare our faith in and our love for and our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ for His grace, for His love, for His mercy, for His forgiveness, and for His salvation. Those that may be secret saints, all I can say is renounce the hidden. Abandon your concealed faith and openly, openly embrace Jesus and tell others. First, we saw Joseph's character. Second, we saw his concealment. We're going to close this morning looking at one more thing. We're going to look under number three. We're going to see his concealment. Understand, his concealment before the cross, it changed after the cross. ...changing from concealment to courage. So we're going to look at Joseph's courage. Joseph had purchased this tomb near the city of Jerusalem... ...where he would plan to be buried one day. That was going to be his place of burial when he finally passed away. Tombs like this, they are carved out of rocks and they are very expensive. Only the very rich people could afford one of these tombs. A tomb would be this earthly monument to his wealth, to his power... ...to his accomplishments, all those things he did during his life. The tomb was designed to declare his glory... But when Joseph of Arimathea, when he saw Jesus dying on the cross, it was in that moment that his priorities changed. What the life of Jesus hadn't been able to do in Joseph of Arimathea, the death of Jesus on the cross did. As Joseph watched Jesus die that day, he made a decision he made that decision he would be silent, silent no more. He would no longer hide the faith in his life. When Jesus was dead, Joseph went in, he walked boldly in the and he asked for the body of Jesus after determining that Jesus was indeed dead. Pilate gave the body over to Joseph, and he allowed him to take it away for burial. By the way, the the attitude of those two men toward the death of Jesus Christ is worth noting. Look at Joseph's response to this. Verse 46 says, And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Joseph, he asks for, and he tenderly cares for the Lord's body. To him, the Lord's body was a precious thing. It deserved to be treated with the utmost compassion and care. But to Pilate, this body of Jesus Christ, it was merely just a corpse. It was a piece of rubbish to him, something that was just to be disposed of once he passed away. When Jesus died, his mother and the women around the tomb, they were in no position to deal with Jesus' body as it hung on that cross. John was there, but he was probably in disguise while he was there because he feared the Jews and he feared the Romans, the Lord's half-brothers. They probably weren't even there. They probably didn't even show up for the crucifixion. Joseph knew if somebody didn't do something, the body of Jesus, it would be taken down from the cross by those soldiers and it would be just simply thrown away. Thrown away like a piece of trash. Look at John 19, 31 through 34. It says, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and of the other one who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. You see, the Jews had already made a deal with Pilate. They wanted these bodies, they wanted to be able to take them down before the next day, which was the Passover. They wanted their bodies down and disposed of before that day came. That's why Pilate, he gave him permission to go and break the legs of these crucified men. With their legs broken, you see, they would no longer be able to hold themselves up and breathe as they hung in that cross. And they would no longer be able to exhale that. Without that ability, they would die within minutes. So the soldiers, they took a wooden mallet. They just beat on the legs of these dying men, hit brutal blows on them until they broke. But when they came to Jesus, however, he was already dead. To confirm this, they thrust a spear into his side, and water and blood came pouring out. This signaled the fact that death had retaken place. The plasma and the platelets that had come out that were in his blood, they had already separated in his body. Our text says that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate. It's meaning that he went boldly to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. The phrase, it literally means to work up the courage to do it. Remember, this had been a man who was afraid. He was afraid to openly take a stand for Jesus in public as a disciple of Christ. He would not stand out there and tell them that. But now, after having seen Jesus die on that cross, now he was emboldened. He was inspired. He was ready to go for Jesus. He walks into Pilate's presence. He asks for this body of Jesus. Remember at first, Pilate's amazed that, well, is Jesus already dead? And he sends for the centurion that was in front of him that we talked about last week. The one assigned to lead the crucifixion. He talked to him and he, he confirms the fact that, yes, Jesus is dead. So Pilate releases the body. And then Joseph, along with Nicodemus, they begin the burial preparations. Let's read it, John nineteen thirty-eight through 42. It said, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of the Jews, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus, also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, though we don't have time to study it, it seems that Nicodemus, he was also influenced by the courage that we saw in Joseph. They may have been there that day. Joseph and Nicodemus, they may have been sent as part of that delegation. They may have been sent by the Sanhedrin to observe the death of Jesus on the cross. Maybe that's why they were there. And if so, these men came to Calvary representing a dead religion. But they left representing a living Lord. The language of verse 46, it's a language of tenderness. Listen to it again. And Joseph brought linen shroud and taking him down, he wrapped him in that linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. Joseph and Nicodemus, they treated that body of the Lord with tender care. They did this by preparing it the best way that they could for burial. They most likely would have washed his body and then they wrapped it in linens. And as they were wrapping in linens, between the various layers of linens, they would have put those spices and those perfumes in there. They would have been applied. All of this would have been done in haste. Because remember, the shadows were coming. They were lengthening. It was signaling the coming of nightfall and the holy day was coming when jesus died on that cross joseph was no longer concerned with his own glory he was now emboldened emboldened to step up and to openly embrace his faith in jesus christ he declares his faith and he does that by boldly asking pilate for the body of jesus then he and nicodemus they take that body remember they're carrying it through the streets of these people that they know and they weren't willing to tell that they were a disciple of christ not caring as they were carrying that body who saw them this time down They prepared the body and then they placed it in that tomb. Then they rolled that stone in front of that tomb, sealing it off. It took great courage for Joseph to go before Pilate and to ask him for this body of Jesus. Let me mention just a few of the issues that Joseph would have faced back then for doing this. As a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph might have been expelled by Pilate, who's probably still angry from the earlier run-in he had with them. By identifying himself with a man who had just been executed for treason, Joseph might have been implicated as a traitor of Rome as well. When Joseph identified himself with Jesus, he would have been promptly expelled from the Sanhedrin. And the common Jew would have turned their back on him too. They would have understood this man. Why this man was identifying himself with that man that died on the cross. The one who was condemned by the leaders as a blasphemer and a traitor and as a false messiah. Joseph, he would have lost his money, his power, his prestige, his popularity. Oh, and then by touching the dead body of Jesus, Joseph, he defiled himself. Meaning that he wouldn't be permitted to participate in the Passover meal. Joseph paid a high price for standing up for the Lord Jesus. But you know what? It still costs today, doesn't it? It still costs something for us to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. This is how the Lord Jesus puts it. It's in Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is to live a life where we've given up. Given up our rights, we've given up our will for our life. Just as it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So you must deny yourself. You must give yourself over, over to the one, the one who died on the cross for you one who redeemed you from your sins. What does that look like? Friends, it's to live a life. You're kind of living out of step with the world around you. It's living such a life that's radically different than what the world looks at. And they'll look at you after you do this with what? With hatred, right? With distrust. They'll look at you with misunderstanding because of what you believe in. Hugh Latimer, he was raised to the bishopric of Worcester. It was during the reign of King Henry VIII. It was the custom in those days that for each of these bishops to bring presents to the king on New Year's Day. So Latimer, he went with the rest of his brethren on New Year's Day to give the usual offering but instead of giving him the purse of gold like everyone else gave him he presented the king with a New Testament and in that New Testament was a leafed over page doubled down to this passage that said whoremongers and adulterers God will judge Mm. that took some courage to do that especially with someone as volatile and violent as King Henry VIII friends that's what this scripture teaches us But my fear is that the majority of believers today, they don't live such a life. But friends, we should. Jesus gave us all for us. Why would we give anything less to him? Let me close with this. In the fourth century, there was a Christian named Telemachus. He lived in a remote village and was tending his gardens and spending much of his time in prayer. Then there's one day that he thought he heard the voice of the Lord telling him, you need to go to Rome. So he obeyed. He set out for Rome that day. He was walking on foot, weary after weeks of travel. He arrived in the city of Rome. It was a time of a great festival. This little monk, he followed the crowd. He merged together with them and they surged down the streets and they ended up in the Colosseum that day. He saw these gladiators come in the Colosseum floor and they stood before Before the emperor, and this is what they said We who are about to die salute you. Then he realized these men, they were going to fight to the death, and it was just for the entertainment of the crowd. So this bishop cried out In the name of Christ, stop. As the games began, he started pushing his way through the crowd. He climbed over the wall, dropped down on the floor of the Colosseum, and he started running towards the gladiators. When the crowd saw this little tiny figure rushing towards those gladiators, saying, in the name of Christ, stop! Well, the crowd, they thought it was just part of the show, so they began laughing. When they realized it wasn't part of the show, the laughter stopped. And that laughter, it turned to anger. As he was pleading with these gladiators to stop, one of them took his sword and plunged it into his tiny little body. He fell into the sand. And as he was dying, his last words were, In the name of Christ, stop. Then a strange thing happened. The gladiators, they stopped. They stood there looking, just looking at this tiny figure laying on the sand. A hush had fallen over all of the Colosseum. Way up in the upper rows, A man stood up, and he made his way down to the exit and walked out. Others began to follow, filing out in dead silence. Everyone left the Colosseum. The year for that was 391 B.C., and that was the last battle to the death between gladiators in the Roman Colosseum. Never again in that great stadium did men kill each other simply for the entertainment of others. Why? It was all because of one tiny, small, little voice. A voice that could hardly be heard over the commotion and the cheers and everything going on that day. A voice, one voice, one life. A life that spoke the truth in God's name. Why do I share this? Because, friends, that story, it illustrates the power. The power of one person, that one person can have when they courageously take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same courage we saw in Joseph of Arimathea. That's the same courage that you and I, that's the same courage that we must have if we're going to change the story. If we're going to change it for this church, for this community, for this state, for our country. Before we leave today, let me ask you a few questions. These questions concern you. So think of yourself when you're answering these questions. What kind of disciple are you? Are you vocal and bold in your witness and your testimony? Or do you tend to hold back? You're holding back because of fear, for fear that others will maybe say things or think some things about you that you may not like. Has God God spoken to you about being more bold in your witness? Have you been saved, but you've never told anyone about it? Are you like Joseph of Arimathea? You're saved, but you're keeping your faith a secret. Church, we need, no, let me say this. We must take a public stand for our Savior today. Stand up. Tell the world, shout it out to them, shout about your faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's will that we stand up for Him. If He has spoken to you, if He's touched you in any area of your life, right now, this would be a good time for you to come before Him, come as we pray and as we sing and do what He's telling you to do. Whatever you're doing that's not in line with Him in the name of Jesus, stop. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620 336 We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. And have a blessed day.